Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast. Today we have Sean Pendergast and Michael Lombardi. Sean gives us his picks of the week. Michael Lombardi weighs in on a whole bunch of stuff. He starts at about the 37-minute mark, but we talked about what the hell's going on with the Raiders. We talked about the New Orleans Saints. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff. As always, he really brings some great insight. Tomorrow, I'm going to have a separate episode. I interviewed the rapper Bun B, who is a local guy from Port Arthur originally, but makes his home in Houston now. And uh, if you don't like rap, if you don't know hip-hop at all, I think you're still going to really enjoy the interview. Um, We talked about a whole lot of stuff, life, music, sports, and he's just a really deep and interesting guy. I learned a lot, and I would like to keep – uh, interviewing people maybe a little bit outside of my normal comfort zone. Learn as much as I can about this world before I leave it, and uh, I think you'll really enjoy that. That'll be out tomorrow, and we'll start it off with the great Sean Pendergast. All right, Sean, we talk gambling on this. At least we we, we try to. Yeah. I, we eventually get around to the gambling. Right. Did you partake in the biggest gambling event of the century, the $1.7 billion Mega Millions jackpot? Not only did I participate, but I won. <laughs> I what did. did you win? Did you win a $25 scratch-off or $4. something? $4. $4. I won 4 bucks. How many tickets did you buy? Uh, I bought 10 quick picks. Okay. I never participate in the lottery just because the odds are extremely terrible. But this is, you know, $1.6 billion. You're like, ah, I feel like I need to just for show content, if is nothing it, else. Isn't it funny that, like, $1 billion isn't enough to do it for me? Right. But $1.6 right. $1. Once that 10th digit clicks over, you really got to participate <laughs> in the lottery. Um, I won 4 bucks. Uh, I found out because Amy texted me. Um, I woke up to that text. She gets up really early because she's a teacher. So she's out of the house before I even wake up. She leaves at like 5.45 in the morning. And so I usually get up shortly after that. And I left the ticket sitting on the counter. Well, I guess there's this thing where you can scan the ticket to see how much you won. Oh. Like some sort of app simple. or something. Yeah. yeah. And she sends me a text. And she's like, the first text, like, you won. And when you're groggy, you're like, you believe anything. And so I'm like, I won? I, I won? And then the next text. Four bucks. You're going to have to go into work today. But I was pretty psyched that I won four bucks. I usually never win things like that. I do buy lotto tickets occasionally just because I enjoy the improbability of it. Yeah. Like I enjoy I enjoy the complete lack of having any chance of winning because then I feel like, all right, I'm really just in, I'm just doing this for the, the, the moment and the experience. My mom used to. My mom used to buy us each a lottery ticket at Christmas. Like one of the things in our stocking at Christmas time was a lotto ticket for like the next lotto. Because oh, then yeah. she loved to just sit there at breakfast on Christmas morning and talk about what, what we would what do with would the do. money. Right. Yeah. I, uh, look, she, lo- she was a real dreamer. She loved that kind really? of stuff. Oh, yeah. Good for her. yeah. I would hire people to tell me the truth. I would hire people because I look around at these billionaires and these sports billionaires. They might be the weirdest people on earth. Mm-hmm. I look at James Dolan and his stupid band or Jim Irsay and his stupid band or all these people and their stupid bands. Like, I need at least one person to tell me, Seth, you have no musical ability or talent. Don't You can have your band, but don't be, don't be parading and using your influence out there to get you actual gigs. Uh, yeah, see, I don't think that's a really outlandish concept. That The mob was built on that concept. You're saying you would hire a consigliere. Somebody that, oh, is that what the consigliere, uh, the consigliere does? Is, like is your there advisor. To, is that, there to give you strategy and, and, yeah, basically to tell you when you're, when you're nuts, you know, when you're, when this is, hey, man, this is a bad idea, or to come to you when you're, you know, the underlings, the people below the consigliere, the capos and the soldiers, when there's a little – 
unrest, you know, a little uh, dissension among the ranks. The only problem with that is that the consigliere still depends on you for their income. I want like a board of directors, like oh, a personal board of directors of independently wealthy people that and, and where their welfare isn't attached to you. Right. Where they can tell you, Seth, you're really acting like a clown. Here. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if enough of these billionaires have those people, everybody yeah. around them. Oh. The richer you get, the harder it is to hear the truth. <laughs> Clearly James Dolan doesn't. No. Did you hear? Uh, did, uh, we talked about this. I did this for all due respect this week on the triple threat um james dolan has banned any employee of uh, msg no no, no. Oh, oh yeah that's a- right. any employee of msg you saw the story i can tell the, the, any employee of msg so the knicks madison square garden he even owns i think the la forum he owns a, an arena in chicago any employee of his enterprise cannot go on an intercom station yeah which Not is just our, our employers that's intercom. our parent company we've yeah. been banned by james dolan. we have if you so if you were dreaming of having you know chris Tapp's porzingis on the show <laughs> you know then and all this like he's he is his employer has mandated that he's not allowed to go on Mad Radio because that host from the New York from uh, WFAN, yeah, yeah she uh, had, Maggie Gray, she had called him a few names, called him a piece of trash, and it had it all. It was all tied back to Harvey Weinstein. It was him. Well, he wrote this tearful ballad about how he should have known yeah. about Harvey Weinstein. Literally, the lyric there's a lyric in that song. I should have thrown myself across the tracks. <laughs> exactly. You see, you see why you need a consigliere. You need okay. somebody to tell him. He, he okay. Commonsensically, he does, but for the purposes of what you and I do, I right. love that James Dolan is the man that he is. Yeah, I wish I got to talk about him more, but the Knicks <laughs> sadly uh, just are not. They're more <laughs> relevant now, obviously. Yeah, yeah not here though. <laughs> um, this is what I would start out with. We t- we had Michael Lombardi on today, and uh, we'll air that recording after you. You always come first, and then we put Michael Lombardi on. Thank you. I asked him about Taysom Hill with the uh, uh-huh. New Orleans Saints, yeah. the backup quarterback that comes in and runs some read option and everything. BYU guy. Yeah, and I asked him how Drew Brees really probably feels about him. Like, Drew Brees puts on a good face and everything, but you would think there would be some kind of jealousy. Lombardi says that he thinks that Drew Brees thinks it's fun and uh, and it's cool. And, it, and he also has this theory that he put in his book that – at some point, he'd love to see a two-quarterback system hmm. where it's where it's two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. Hmm. Like, if you had a Deshaun Watson and a Deshaun Watson minor, like, not anybody that's as good oh, as Deshaun wow. Watson, but another really athletic quarterback that can come in and be a running and receiving threat, what those two guys could be on the field at the same like time. Like, you wouldn't know which guy's going to throw the football, right. that kind of thing. You could be running a core. You could be running, like, imagine Deshaun Watson – running across in motion on a jet sweep and the pass is still a, a viable threat. It's not just a right. trick right. play. Right, he takes a lateral yeah, and he's still like in the backfield. Gonna, it's going to be the bootleg jet sweep. Yeah. And it's not just some gimmicky thing that you're just doing that. I almost could envision a day when that happens. I could too. What kind of coach would you need to make that happen though? You'd need like a Sean McVay or somebody. Right, you like that feels that's, like that's a lot of stuff to manage. Yeah. Right, like a lot of – and this is totally me as a layperson. That's why I'm asking you. You're the former football player. It feels like there's a lot of potential points of failure in that type right. of stuff. And that's why coaches in the NFL are so scared to try new stuff like right. this. And and with good reason, too, because until the last few years where the rules started to relax somewhat, well, the rules started being tougher for defenders, uh, the, the margin of error was just too small. And that if you mess yeah. up on one of those plays, it ends up being a pick six or something. Where now I think because it's so much harder to play defense – they are loosening up and becoming more liberal with what they want to try. And also just because quarterbacks are better at dealing with more backfield action. These college quarterbacks deal with way more bells and whistles in the backfield than most NFL quarterbacks ever had to deal with. Yeah, that's true. So they're just more – they don't have as many good pro-style reps, but they've got a lot of reps with the razzle-dazzle. So so where did you come out on Breeze? Because I think Breeze is actually fine because at this point, Breeze just wants to win. Yeah, and I and I don't think Taysom Hill is the type of quarterback that's a threat to Drew no, Breeze. Like no. the sense I've gotten with Drew Breeze through the years is that the Saints have almost been scared to come up with a a, a future plan at quarterback because th- there's this there's at least a sense I get. I you know I don't know people who cover the Saints obviously would know better than I would, but the sense I've always gotten just from the stories about hey why haven't the Saints really looked at a young quarterback or, or, you know, and and when you think about it, I guess a lot of these teams with older quarterbacks haven't really committed to anybody, the Steelers and the Chargers and the the Giants and things like that. But the sense I always got with Breeze was they were always afraid to, like, offend Drew Breeze Mm -hmm. by by bringing in another quarterback. Taysom Hill, I feel like he's almost like a – 
like a gimmicky kind of guy. Yeah, it, gimmicky or just a different whole skill set. And whatever he's going to be, he's far yeah. off. Right. I can't remember the last time I heard Drew Brees talk about how long he wants to play, but I would imagine he's like just like Tom Brady. He thinks he can play till he's 45. Yeah, I would think and, so. And wants to keep doing that. Do you think these guys can? I think they can. Yeah. yeah. It's They take so few hits comparatively. Yeah. It's still, when they take a hit, it's scary. But if you look at the total number of hits compared to guys that played like 10 or 15 years ago, yeah. it's night and day. And now that the hits that they're taking are like, okay, the guy's going to try like hell to not put any body weight on you. Even those number of hits are softer and softer hits. They're not getting hit in the head. The The chance of getting hit in low is almost completely eliminated. Yeah. And then it becomes like, like, what do we know about quarterbacks? We know that there are plenty of quarterbacks with strong arms. We know that there are plenty of quarterbacks, not as many, but there are plenty of quarterbacks that are accurate enough. It's really just a mental test. It's who are the guys that can do those two things with their arm, but then also pass the IQ test. Yeah, process everything. Yeah, and the IQ IQ keeps getting better and better as they go along. So if you remove some of the physical durability from it, I would imagine we're gonna hold. We're gonna start seeing a bunch of guys in their forties. Yeah, and if not, not if not to forty-five, I think into their forties. Yeah, I. You know what's gonna be amazing? So if Brady goes to forty-five, we're in twenty eighteen right now, so that would be like twenty twenty-one, yeah. something like that. When he eventually retires, the lists are gonna be amazing that come out. Like the list of every player Tom Brady played with, the list of every of every guy who caught a touchdown pass. The, even the like the list of employees of the Patriots in that time frame, like behind the scenes, like a, a list of all the TV shows that began and ended during the footprint that was Tom. Now, the Simpsons are going to outlive everybody. The, yeah. So that'll be the one show that came in before Brady and it'll still be there after Brady. Will he be Michael Jordan status where his birthday becomes a national holiday on ESPN? Uh, I, I get I get I get physically ill every year when Michael Jordan's birthday comes around and they make a huge deal out of it, which I guess I can't even remember what it is, but it must be during a dead time in sports. Maybe it is. Because they they make a huge deal out of Jordan's birthday every time. Yeah. I don't think so, and here's why, is that Michael Jordan – like Tom Brady is – is the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah, it's in the middle of February. Yeah, February 17th. Like President's Day, like right around there. I know where you're going with this. Jordan's a cultural touchstone. He well, he is and he was a he was a turning point for what is now the the it's not as popular as the NFL just in terms of how we measure popularity, TV ratings and things like that, but there's no question the NBA is at a I don't know if it's at its peak, but it's at a you know, it's it's certainly at a very very high level of popularity. And it's maintained it by and large since I know it's Larry and Magic, but Jordan was really the guy to to put it the way you put it, Seth. He he was the symbol of the just massive boom of the NBA. Right. To me, to well, me, it was at least the, the shoes yeah, and the everything else. The sneaker culture, like yeah. sneaker culture, is a thing. There are still Jordan like, shoes that get sold every year. Right. You like know, I don't know what was the sneaker culture before Jordan. Chuck Taylors. Right. You know, and it was, <laughs> right. <laughs> it right. like Sambas. Stan Smith. In terms of an actual name attached to it, it was Chuck Taylor, and that wasn't really. You know, other than whenever, oh. you know, when they come and flow, come and yeah. go in hipster culture, where oh. it's cool to wear your chucks. There, there weren't kids back in the fifties climbing over with their slicked back hair and their greaser cigarettes rolled up in their sleeve, climbing over each other at the mall to get the the latest pair of Chuck Taylors when they were coming. When Did those, you get the when, Taylor right. fives? When those kids assaulted each other, it was over turf, it's not over their Chuck Taylors themselves. They pink, weren't uh, pink slips for their cars. Yeah, exactly. You know, a drag race. Right. You wanted the car. You Smokes. didn't want the sneakers themselves. Yeah. Uh, the Raiders were in the news for a couple reasons this week. One is because they traded away Amari Cooper to the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I think most people look at that as a much smarter trade uh, and a much really a, a really good trade by the Raiders because Amari Cooper's been somewhat of a disappointment. He had a good year a couple years ago, um, but has trailed off dramatically. Yeah, it's about time to pay him too. Yeah, and so yeah, right. He only has one year on his deal. I think it's. I, I think it, it's it's really kind of a desperate, stupid move by the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, unless they're just figuring, okay, we got to figure out what we have with Dak Prescott. So you bring in Amari Cooper to give him some weaponry, but I don't know if that's enough. Like, that seems like a backwards way of 
decision making. Yeah. So, like, well, we're going to spend a lot of money on a guy who's only got one year left on his contract to see if we should give more money to this other guy. They actually probably feel really good about the trade because when they've traded for big-time receivers before, they gave up two ones for Joey Galloway. They gave up a one and a three for Roy Williams. Jerry Jones, oh. is, probably, Jerry Jones is probably like, this is one of the cheapest deals I've ever seen. <laughs> I, I just, uh, what, uh, just one first-round pick for uh, Amari Cooper. Um so, yeah, it's it's a weird deal. What I'll be interested to see, Seth, is not so much how he acclimates himself the rest of this year because you give up a first-round pick, he's going to be part of this team going forward. I'll be curious if they let him play out the fifth-year option or if they give him a new deal after this season. Some of it will depend on how he plays for them over the next nine games. But I just found that deal – the league has seemed, seems to have gotten so much smarter, not so much about – what a guy is worth draft pick wise, because that to me is just up to the individual teams that are making the deals. There's no, there's no menu where you look and go, oh, a wide receiver's worth a first. Because at the end of the day, Jimmy Garoppolo got traded same time of year last year for a two. Yeah. And if if you know if Jerry Jones called up and said, I'll trade you Amari Cooper for Jimmy Garoppolo, he'd get laughed off. Right. The phone. That draft, well, and that's why that was. You I know, mean, that, it was one of the dumbest trades. I, I say dumb. It seems like Belichick's hand was forced, but it was an incredibly low price to pay for a quarterback. But so much of it is affected by timing and how many teams yeah. are involved, and it's—I mean—it's all supply and demand. But it's a—I've heard you guys talking about it, like it's—it's it's just really kind of willy-nilly and random about what, who's worth what. So, so I don't know how smart the league has gotten. The league has certainly gotten more open to making deals like the NBA and, and, and baseball do at the trade deadline where you're trading a big current asset for some future asset. They've definitely gotten more smart to that. Um, but I, I do think the thing that the league has gotten wise about, which is why this deal doesn't make a ton of sense to me, is the cap part of it and the, the value of a guy being on a rookie deal. Mm -hmm. And that's what made the – when everybody's laughing at Gruden about the Khalil Mack trade, and certainly early on it hasn't looked good for him because Mack has played well, at the end of the day, the Bears traded two first-round picks for the right to pay Khalil Mack uh, as the highest-paid defensive player in football. Right. And you're, the, you're getting it on both ends. Yeah. You're so losing the, the draft pick and you're paying big right. money. And the Cowboys just did the same – obviously not as much as the Bears gave up for Mack, but the same concept where they gave up a first-round pick for the right – theoretically, to pay Amari. If Amari Cooper is what they're hoping they're getting in the trade, then they're going to have to pay him at least probably like Brandon Cook's money, yeah. right? Like five years, $80 million, something like that. The one thing about the current environment is that the cap is going up every year. So nobody ends up looking all that dumb as long as the increasing cap yeah. space can erase some of your issues. Like in 2007, let's say 2006, when everybody was a real estate genius. You know, like yeah. people were spending all kinds of money investing here, investing there, yeah. flipping houses. And like, I got rich flipping houses. Oh, you're a genius. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, you Fast forward to 2009, Poof. yeah, and not everybody was all that smart. Right. So at some point, you got to pay the piper. Except with the Cowboys, it, we know with Jerry, it almost doesn't even matter because it's as long as his name's in the news. As long yeah. as the Cowboys' name is in the news, he's happy. Yeah. And he'll sputter along at, at nine and seven or well, so. Well, they're not paying a quarterback right now. I mean, they're paying Dak, but they're paying him like a fourth rounder because uh, he is a fourth rounder. Um, so they've got one more year. God, it's crazy to think he's like he's going to be up for a contract extension this offseason. What do you do if you're the Cowboys there? Right. I, like to me, they've they've injected by trading for Cooper. They've injected even more like confusion into the mix. Like boy, they're going to have to roll the dice on some of these things. It, you talk about Elliott's going to be coming up for a deal like in a year. Right. They've gotten you know? away with for uh, over a decade now having a rookie free agent yeah. and a fourth round draft pick yeah. as their as their marquee quarterback. Yeah, and, and that doesn't typically last it, all that long. It, it doesn't and I you know, unless unless they're they're not sold on Dak and they're gonna go some other route in the off season. But they I mean they got lucky with the Dak thing. You know, they wanted to trade up for Connor Cook and Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch isn't even in the league anymore, I, I don't know. think. And so they wanted to move up to get both of those guys. They couldn't the Broncos and the Raiders gave up more to move up and get both of those guys. So Jerry's just sitting there, he's like, all right, I guess we'll take Dak Prescott and and he's turned out by and large, he's obviously outplayed being a fourth rounder, but his rookie year, you were thinking, Dak's the truth. Not you, but you know, generally you like. I kind of did. Yeah, I no, I did I too. Had, hey, I had envy. Hey, I liked. I like Dak coming out of Mississippi State. You can go Google Dak Prescott in my right. name, and there's articles that I wrote 
saying that they should the Texans before they signed Brock, I said they should draft Dak Prescott. And after they signed Brock, I said they should draft Dak Prescott. Well, and Dak Prescott in that first year, he looked more accurate than yeah. he did in college, he which did. is rare. Usually guys don't get more accurate. He looked more accurate, and that's fallen by the wayside, and you can blame some of it on his options, yeah. but also some of it just seems to be that he hasn't progressed in the last few years. The other big Raiders news was uh, Derek Carr allegedly crying after he get injured. Yeah. Uh, got injured last week. I'm not buying it. Because I've seen him get injured before where he didn't cry at all. And usually if a guy cries, usually if a guy cries because of injury, it's for emotional reasons. Yeah. Like they're realizing their like season Keekly is over. Like when he was on that gurney. or right. the, Or on the, uh, not a gurney, but a uh, the, the cart. And they yeah. were taking him out after he got concussed. And I'm, I'm A-OK with emotional crying. Yeah. I would encourage it among And especially in sports. Like emotional crying's always been OK for guys in sure. sports. Sure. As long as you're not being a little wimp about it. I try it. to cry once a day, Seth. <laughs> I, 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 I go to the YouTube and I watch – what what always gets me? I get there's a few things that get me on YouTube, the videos of the the troops that come home and surprise their yeah, kids. Yeah, every at time, every damn time, every time. Yep. T- any Tom Rinaldi feature on ESPN, uh, like the I don't know if you saw the one about the kid with cancer from Purdue this weekend. That, I did not. That, where they you know they the Purdue's gonna he called it Purdue's gonna beat Ohio State and he's this diehard Purdue fan slash student who's got bone cancer and. And holy crap, Ohio State lost by four touchdowns. And the kid was at the game up in the press box in a wheelchair. And it was amazing. Like, I was blubbering like a baby. And then uh, when coaches give scholarships to Uh walk-ons, I always get a little misty at those, too. The the military – no, the reunification ones are – like, I find it impossible not to have an emotional reaction. Like, I thought that I would – I thought that at some point I would get callous to it, but it never stops. Yeah, and especially the ones – the ones where they, like, dress the – the parent up in like I've seen ones where they dress him up in like a costume, like oh, the kid, like or the, the umpire. He's yeah. the umpire at the little league game or yes. something. Yes, that I haven't seen that one. But Give man, him a I'm, shitty I'm, strike zone. I'm about to cry just thinking about that. <laughs> 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 the ones I'm thinking of are like when they're at their like their kid is at their like their Christmas party at school in the cafeteria, and in walks Santa Claus, and it's Jimmy's turn to sit on Santa Claus's lap, and he's you know he's not making eye contact with Santa Claus, and while there's no eye contact being made. Santa rips off their beard. Yeah. Oh and boy. Sometimes I'm it's right. a mom who's in the military. That's even more gut wrenching, you know, with the yeah, whole I'm, 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 mother I'm, and I'm child reunion. Now we're gonna have to pause the podcast for a moment. <laughs> All right, Derek Carr. You know what the, the other? Sissy. Well, Derek Carr. I don't buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you believe? You mean that? You mean that little pussy was crying? What a piece of crap! Do you think he was crying? No, I don't think he was. Okay. I think he was wincing. We did an experiment where I uh, I winced. <laughs> if you look at me right now, if I'm wincing oh, like this. It's a, you could easily interpret that as a cry. I retweeted it. I, 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 oh, that picture of me I, I retweeted Well, I said, you said, uh, is whoever tweeted it, either, either you or the station tweeted it, it said, is Seth wincing or, or crying? And I said, is pooping an Yeah, option? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've done both the wince and the cry during poop, <laughs> usually related to Tex-Mex. The other, uh, the other big notable quarterback, a whole lot of quarterback news up with a dramatic variety yeah. this week, yeah. uh, Chad, Chad Kelly. Oh my God! This is my this is my opinion about Chad Kelly, and this is what's so this is what's so disappointing is that his uncle is is Jim Kelly, obviously. Yeah. Jim Kelly was the leader of one of the last truly old school NFL teams where those dudes drank together, they partied together, they hung out together, they went on hunting trips in the offseason. Like, that was a tight-knit group of hardcore partiers. Like, back in the day before they started testing all that vigorous. You talking about the Buffalo Bills or the Talk- Houston Gamblers? I'm talking about the oh. Buffalo. Well, the, the Gamblers, <laughs> but that was relatively short-lived. But the Buffalo Bills, I mean, those guys are legendary. I'm from that region. Yeah. And, they had a, and Kelly had huge parties at his house after every game. Like, he had a huge like rec room basement specifically for the team. And yeah. like that was part of just building the camaraderie was having everybody party together. Yeah. And Kelly obviously could handle his liquor and he was no teetotaler, you know, he was not where with, with Chad Kelly, the part of him actually wandering into that basement of the young couple. Yeah. That's not the most alarming part to me. The part that's alarming is that he was asked to leave Von Miller's party. Like that? that <laughs> I didn't know that until yesterday. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, honestly, like there's so many stories about legendary quarterbacks and when they're out in their sure. carousing days getting into kind of trouble. And of the, course. And the cops, you know, coaxing them home because right. that's what they did back in those right. days. Or like, yeah, get in the squad car, I'll drive you home. Um, 
Look, I'm, I'm sure that at least two or three Hall of Fame quarterbacks have stumbled into the wrong apartment at some point or, or wrong house when they're drunk. Yeah. But getting asked to leave a party of your teammates, he's not uh, – I don't like the cut of his jib, man. No. Like, Chad Kelly just can't handle his liquor. Yeah, I feel like this is uh, like the movie Draft Day with uh, Bo Callahan. I, yeah. You see the movie Draft Day? I, I saw none of his go- None of his teammates came to his birthday party because they all hated him. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you oh, know, yeah. That's, that's in Michael Lombardi's book, and I'm surprised it hasn't – gotten more traction with well, the movie draft day no 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 no. sorry um a, a story <laughs> i said no like, the, wow. no the thing that i'm referencing that i'm thinking about in my brain pronouns that, pal. that thing that i'm talking about <laughs> i should have known rg3 oh uh, yeah that nobody came to his pro day you mentioned that, that last his, time uh, yeah. did i mention that you last mentioned time? yeah Everything's yeah running into it uh, no 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 but for those who didn't hear it last right time. so that rg3 was just not well liked by his teammates yeah. uh, either at baylor or uh, in washington according to michael lombardi right um, yeah, it's a big deal, especially for a quarterback. Like a lot of things are different these days, and quarterbacks are more engineers than they are, you know, athletes in some respects. But you got to be somebody, even if you're not a partier, even if you don't go out at all or anything, you've got to be somebody that your team respects. Of course, the, the two things about the Chad Kelly story that are one is a bit disappointing. The other one is is scary to think of. The disappointing one is purely football. The Texans play the Broncos a week from Sunday. Yeah. If you you know if you read the tea leaves with the Broncos before this Chad Kelly thing, like Case Keenum, I don't want to say he was on the ropes as a starting quarterback, but he hasn't been good. And there had been I'd seen chatter on the internet. Oh, that, there are a bunch of there have been people since like week one that are stumping for Chad Kelly. Yeah, yeah. So th- so there was that. Like wow, there was a chance we might. Who knows if you know Case throws a couple picks in the first half, like Blake Bortles spitting up the ball. Maybe who knows? Maybe Vance Joseph, who's I'm guessing. Vance Joseph is probably at a WTF point in his career. You know, like, I know it's only year two, but everybody thought he was going to get fired after yep. year one. And he's probably like, yeah, screw it. I'll put in Chad Kelly. The other thing is he's lucky that the guy who owned the house, that all he went and got was a metal vacuum tube right. to get him if out of it. If the guy had a gun. He could have shot or him. a butcher's knife he, or anything he, else. He, self-defense would have been perfectly in play. Are you kidding me? A dude, some random dude comes into your house, sits down on the couch, and starts mumbling incoherently with, with at your, one in the morning? And your wife is holding your one-year-old? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to get a picture of exactly what was going on there that – the child was up as well. I don't. I don't know what. One the hell. in the morning. I, yeah. yeah if it, I mean, I don't. The kid was getting it, a feeding. What yeah. If he walked in while his wife was nursing the baby. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Yeah. And then I would. Then I'd hack him to death. It, I would like if I go in there and I see some sharp. dude mumbling incoherently. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's get to your picks. How'd you okay. do last week? Three and three. Three and three. Okay. Yeah. Three and three. And that's I, all right. You're still way ahead over the last. Couple I am weeks. fifty. Well, I'm nine and three over the last two weeks because okay. I was six and zero oh the week before. I'm still fifty-seven percent on the year. You are. Which is which capable is good. Of being a professional gambler with that. 50, I, you yes. got to be better than 52.5%, right? 52 and change is break even because yeah. of the VIG. Uh, 55% is where, like, target is for most gamblers. You know, just 55%. If you go 55% all year, you're making money, yeah. you're happy. Um, 57%. If I'm over, yeah, 50, I'm 57.4% on my best bets. Real quick. Year. Yeah. How would I learn how to be a bookie? Like, how to actually handicap like a bookie? Um... Not it's, like handicapped to beat Vegas or anything, but just to be like somebody that set, sets a line. To set and the lines, yeah. yeah. It's it's a very that's a really good question and probably a really detailed answer. But the guys who set the lines in Vegas, a lot of them have been doing it for a long, long time. Um, they come up with a set of power rankings yeah. of teams, and they use that and they kind of stick to that to set to set the initial line. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of see where the money moves, and you got to know who the one. You know, the, there are some big betters that that if they're Going heavy on one side, you've got to be cognizant. Those are the sharps. Yep. You know, anytime you hear that uh, nowadays it's really easy to find this data online, um, but there are two metrics that you look at from a better's perspective, but it's it's relative to what you're talking about. It's the percentage of tickets and the percentage of the money. And anytime the percentage of tickets are skewed to one team and the percentage of money does not match that skew, you know, it's a – then that means the public is on that one side. Anytime the, there's fewer tickets on one team, but there's more money on yep. that team, it means that the whales are in on whoever that. And you generally, team. you generally look at the public as the dullards. Yeah, they're the, the ones that are building the yeah. hotels out there. They're they're not the ones doing the research. They don't know all the. And that's the other thing. This uh, this one point six million dollar lotto winner might mess things up. <laughs> he started putting out a lot <laughs> of action it. somewhere. Right, <laughs> like yeah. like what, uh, if, what if what if one week you've got like three mega sharps that are also like drunken idiots? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I think 
I, you know, and I think there's certain nuances of it, like of handicapping, that you just over time you've got to become hip to, like about how teams react to travel, how teams react to, you know, playing division games, you know, coming off of a division game, heading towards a division game, yeah. how they react to looking ahead at games. There's so many little biorhythm things that I don't even know that former players take into account, even oh, though you yeah. probably experienced all those things as a player. I would not quantify it, which brings me to this, because yeah. you're taking the Eagles at minus 2.5 over the Jaguars right. in London. Mm -hmm. So I got to imagine the Jaguars, because they play in London every year, have some kind of an advantage They there. do. I, I'm actually I, – yeah, I, I, I've – as you know, I listen to some gambling podcasts, and I, I go look at opinions of people who I respect. I usually come up with my picks on Monday. I look at the lines. I, what I do is I, I – I take the the major. I, I take most of the college games, the ones where I know the teams. Like I'm not going to sit there with the MAC, even though I should. There's probably money to be made. But anyways, I take some of the college games. I take all the NFL games, and I write down what I think the line should be mm -hmm. based on my own sort of internal power rankings. And then I then I go see what the opening lines are, and I see which ones I'm drastically different than. And I'll usually only pick my games from the ones that I'm drastically different than, but then I'll go do research on the games. So I, I, that's my that's my whittling down process is I go with my gut on Monday. If there's a big difference between what Vegas thinks and what I think, I go see why. Mm -hmm. And if I feel like if I feel like my reasons still stand up, my handicapping still stands up to what I think, then I'll go with it. I say that to say that a lot of people are on the Jags this week because of what you just said, Seth. There, there is a there is a quantification. It's probably in, at the end of the day, maybe only a point, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, you know, as far as the spread goes, uh, is how bookies would quant or bookmakers would would quantify it. Um, but the, there is a comfort level because the Jags go to London every year, and the Eagles. I don't know when the last time they went to London. I I'm just going off of man. I I've watched this team. I watched all of their games the last three weeks, and three weeks is a pretty good sized sample three weeks in a row to watch them to go, this is a team that's completely dysfunctional. <laughs> They're right? falling apart. Yeah. I, I, you don't go from fighting in the locker room after the game to like, hey, you know what will cure us? A trip to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So International stressful travel. Right. So the routine, you know, there is an advantage with the routine. I just don't think it overcomes the advantage that I think the Eagles already. Like, I think the Eagles should be like a four-and-a-half point favorite really? here, maybe a five-point favorite. Um, so, I, yeah, so I, that, that's why I like that. I just That's a play against the Jags as much as it is a play on the Eagles. But I do like that the Eagles are desperate in this situation. Then you've got the Saints and the Vikings. You're taking the over. I didn't write down the number. Yeah, it's 52. Over. 52. The, the over's 52. And and did it, you, you made that pick before the Eli Apple trade. I, yeah, and I don't feel even better about it if yeah. there's Eli <laughs> Apple out there. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is just a simple game where these are two teams that are playing pretty good football right now. They're pretty dialed in. It's weird to say this, but I think that loss to the Rams actually had a good effect on the Vikings a few weeks ago, the Thursday night game. That that was when the Rams – I think the Rams still are thought to be the class of the league. But, I mean, if you remember, I think that was week three or four. Everybody was just jocking yep. the Rams. Well, and the Vikings had a tough go of it, too. They, they had did. to go on the road uh, after a tough game the week before. They had lost to the Bills the week That's before right. at That's home. right, yeah. And so they went on the road. So everybody was out on the Vikings. Everybody was in on the Rams. The spread on that game, I think, was over a touchdown or around a touchdown maybe, um, which is crazy when you think the Vikings were, um, you know, they were in the NFC title game last year, and they improved their quarterback situation. Uh, the, I thought that Rams game back in week three or four, whenever it was, it was kind of a good thing for the Vikings. They stood in toe to toe. They their offense moved the football against the perceived, you know, great defense of the Rams. We've learned over time that the the Rams aren't all that defensively. Um, but I thought they got their confidence back in that game, and they've played better since that game. And I I think it's home for the Vikings. This is a set, the Saints are going back on the road. They played at Baltimore this week. Uh, this past week, I'm guessing that there's a, there's a hangover effect from playing Baltimore on the road just because that's a physical team. That's yeah. a tough place to go play. And so now you're going back on the road to play a primetime game on the road. I was tempted to take the Vikings here. I just think the Saints are playing such good football. The one thing I was confident in is that there were going to be a lot of points scored in this game, and here's why. Just I, I think DVOA is a great way to look at this, the football outsiders. The Saints are fourth, and the Vikings are 13th in passing. So they're both in the upper half. Both defenses, conversely, are in the bottom half mm -hmm. in pass defense. The Saints are 30th, and the Vikings are 19th. So you have an elite passing offense going Saints against a middling 30th, defense huh? and, in a, and in a, a, a kind of middle-of-the-pack Vikings passing offense going against a wretched pass defense. So then you have the Packers plus 10.5 over the Rams, and you mentioned the, the Rams' weaknesses on defense. Yeah. The one thing that I'm wondering about is that Aaron Donald is starting to – 
come on he and is. look a lot like Aaron Donald. Because I, I have questions about the Rams secondary. Their back half has some seepage issues at times. Injury issues, yeah, too. an injury that's just, just flat out. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if that Packers offensive line can withstand that pass rush when it's clicking. It's a good, uh, yeah. I mean that that's that's the counter certainly to to my handicap, but. Aaron Rodgers has never been a double-digit underdog in his NFL career before. They've never been more than a 10-point underdog in a game. It's the biggest, the, the most points Aaron Rodgers has ever been getting. He, in my opinion, is the most talented quarterback of this recent generation, probably over the last decade or so. I know Brady's got the most Super Bowls. I know Rodgers has only had one Super Bowl. Um, but I'm, it's purely a play on Aaron Rodgers getting double-digit points. I'm willing to ride Aaron Rodgers thinking he can score some points against a Rams defense that, like you and I just said, maybe a little bit – maybe a little bit uh, – the, the, the names in that defense, I think, give off a better brand – than the defense actually is. You're going to ride Aaron Rodgers, the Danica gonna, Patrick gonna, strategy. Uh, I like this. <laughs> yeah. Was the Olivia he's, Munch uh, strategy a couple years ago. her own little personal stock car. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, she wasn't stock. She was uh, the fast, the, yeah. the Formula One. I'm not going to ride him quite the same <laughs> way she rides Wait, him. do I call him IndyCars or Formula One for her? She's IndyCar. She is. Yeah, she's IndyCar. Or is it Cart? Yeah, I don't I'm know. So, I'm so car racing uh, yeah, dumb. Yeah, me too. I ran, into, I ran into one of A.J. Foyt's sons here because, you know, A.J. Foyt is here in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to talk cars with him for a little bit. And How'd I saw, it go? I said, bad, real bad. <laughs> but I had read A.J. Foyt's book when I was a kid. Really? When I was like 12 years old, I read A.J. Foyt's autobiography, and it was uh, it was transformative for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he one time had a really bad car crash and had to have surgery and everything, and he did like the classic old – uh, car, car driver, like, screw you, Doc. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to oh. rehab by painting the fence on my ranch. Oh, <laughs> I feel like if Days of Thunder had a sequel, it would have been something like that. It was like, like yeah, you could have yeah. set it to a montage <laughs> right, of him right. painting the fence, like driving an old like contraption in the garage, like some kind of simulator. The one where Cole Trickle nearly dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so those are my picks. Eagles minus 2.5, Saints-Vikings over 52, Packers plus 10.5. What are your uh, college ones? My college ones quickly are Wake Forest plus two and a half over the fighting Petrinos of Louisville. They are <laughs> terrible. Iowa plus seven over Penn State. I think Penn State's still a little overrated, and I think Iowa's a little underrated right now. They're both right next to each other in the AP ranking, 17th and 18th, but I think the better team is getting seven points in this game. Iowa can run the football. They've got a really good defense, um, and I think they still kind of almost control their own destiny to be in the playoff mix. They've only lost one game. And that only loss is to Wisconsin, who is probably going to be knocked behind them right. on their side of the big. There's a really yeah. good chance Iowa goes to the Big Ten title game with one loss. So I think they've got a lot to play for. They're getting seven against Penn State. And I'm taking Mizzou minus seven over Kentucky. I think Kentucky's going to be looking ahead a little bit to the big game against Georgia next weekend. I can't believe anybody ever questioned how much the four-team playoff system would add to the excitement of college. Isn't it awesome? College. Are you so an eight-team or a four-team guy? I am uh, – I. I find myself enjoying the four-team format more and more. I don't like the controversy and the talk about the controversy that comes from it. Yeah. Um, so See, I, I do. Yeah, <laughs> That's why I, I like know. the four-team. <laughs> I love that one conference I, is yeah, guaranteed I, to be left it, out. It is. You know what? It's better for content that <laughs> yes. somebody's always convinced that the world is out to get them. <laughs> right. That is a really good point. Yeah. You know what? Injustice is good for sports radio, at least. You got that right. All right. Thanks, buddy. Good job. Uh, you. You're going to be doing your post-game show over at the stadium for the Texans game uh, today? Yes. Into the wee hours of the of the night with Paul Gallant and Cecil Shorts. Ah, beautiful. I hope you have something nice to talk uh, about. Me too. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. See ya. Ah, I love Sean. He's such a great guy. Let me set this up a little bit. Uh, our interview with Michael Lombardi today on my radio show, Mad Radio, with Mike Meltzer and Paul Gallant. We had been discussing the strip club scene in South Florida because we had Joe Rose, who's a legendary South Florida broadcaster, on talking about the Dolphins. And he had kind of casually mentioned that Vontae Davis, the cornerback when he was in Miami, might have loved the strip clubs a little bit too much. And it got us to wondering about just how much of a distraction various nightlife are in various places. Night lives? I don't know how you'd actually grammatically say that properly. Uh, but the nightclub scene in various places, the strip club scene, and I knew that Michael Lombardi has a whole bunch of experience, not with the strip clubs, but with dealing with players who might frequent strip clubs. So if it sounds a little bit confusing when we come in, that's where we were. I had to edit it right at the point where the music stopped because I don't have the license to play that music on this podcast. Here we go. But I wonder, like, when you break it down, I bet in Miami, 
there's at least one player a year who fell in love with a stripper, and it ends up it ends up affecting his performance on the field. I think you're right, Michael. Does that math add up to you? What's that? I didn't hear the beginning. I just heard stripper. That's uh, all I heard. <laughs> we're talking about how kind of we speak vaguely a lot of times about how oh. What's it going to be like for the Raiders in Vegas with all that distraction? Or, oh, a city like Miami. We just had a Miami uh, radio host, Joe Rosen, here talking about how Vontae Davis had a little bit of a trouble with the strip clubs in Miami. And it's a very real thing, isn't it? When you go from yeah. city to city, just the distraction element compared to, like, Green Bay. Yeah, I, I think you have to draft that way. I, I think if you're drafted in New Orleans, you're drafting a different kind of kid than you can draft in Green Bay. I think you got to set it up that way. There's distractions. You know, it's also, it also comes down to, like, you know, what's the population of the town? Where can players get comfortable? You know, in New England, there's not a Samoan population in the Northeast. So if you draft a Samoan player, is he going to get comfortable? Can he get filled into the reality of, of the situation? Yes, the cold bothers him. But, you know, there's a cultural thing you've got to weigh into the fact, and you've got to consider Consider that, and you got to play to it. Look, you just can't say, "Son, we drafted you." You know whether you know there's a there's no churches here that you want to go to or anything like that. You got to kind of work your way around it. And I think in Miami, I think it's one of the biggest things in Miami. You're on that I-95 corridor. You know, it's it's very much it's 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 a. A lot of temptation is a polite way to say it, and I, and I think you've got to be cognizant of the players you draft, and it's really important that you draft guys that love football first and foremost. I'll tell you what, I used to hear so many stories about guys that played in New Orleans in like the 80s and maybe early 90s, and it seemed to me like what it, what it sounded like was aside from just being in New Orleans, it was also old school like you were not going to get in trouble for anything. Like the cops right. were, the cops were not going to book you. They were going to drive you to your home. Uh, and I guess that's that's a it's a whole different distraction from every type of town. It really is, and you got to weigh that into you, and you got to consider that. I mean, Houston's a tough town too. I mean, Houston, you've got a lot of of uh, gentlemen clubs, and you've got a lot of a lot of idea, a lot of things that can happen there, and so you've got to make sure that you get the right guy in there. You know, in New England, when we were there, you know, Belichick would talk to the team about you know what goes on in Providence, what goes on in Boston. They're two different cities, and you've got to understand that, and you've got to talk to the team about it because it's important. Michael, some people on this radio station feel like we should have spent more time talking about Deshaun Watson taking the bus to and from Jacksonville. From your perspective, how big of a deal is that story or not a big deal? Well, I think it's, it shows you the toughness of Deshaun. I mean, obviously, you know, and it's a smart move by them to not put him in an airplane. I think part of what the Patriots were doing on why they didn't rule Gronk out for Sunday's game is because, you know, when your back flares up, you can't sit on that airplane, right? It's hard. And then when you go 35,000 feet, you know, there's medical evidence that some things change in your body that distorts it and does some things. You want to avoid that. And so... You know, that's why I thought that it would happen, why they didn't rule him out initially is because I think maybe if his back came around Sunday morning, they could privately fly him into Chicago and he can go play. Obviously, that didn't happen. The same thing with Deshaun. I mean, why risk it? You know, it, you know, get him a nice bus, have him sit there, put the tape on the machine, you know, have somebody go with him, you know, coach him up on, you know, more prep time to do it. And then, you know, it, it helps not – you know, it, it helps him from having to have to deal with the repercussions of flying at 35,000 feet. I think it's a smart play. Is there a whole lot of a difference between the Texans and Dolphins? Obviously, a quarterback there is between Deshaun Watson and Brock Osweiler for tonight's game. But at the same time, I mean, we're talking about two coaches that I think are liked in league circles, but maybe aren't that good as head coaches. And on top of that, two, four and three teams. Well, look, I, I think that the, the Texans have had a strange season. You know, the first three games of the year, they tried, they gave games away. Lately, they haven't. You know, they've tried to give some games away. They've played better. I mean, the Jacksonville game was a great win for them. I mean, make no mistakes about it. We laugh about Jacksonville, Blake Bortles. You know, but Jacksonville's 13-10 and 10 over the last 23 games. Are they really a good team? But I think, you know, Houston's been able to dominate them. So Miami's an interesting team. I know DVOA had them as the number two team after one week of the season. Miami's offense is about long handoffs. Miami's trying to run the Kansas City offense the way Alex Smith ran it. They're trying to control the ball. They're trying to long handoffs, make explosive plays. If you make them work the ball down the field, they're going to stub their toe and they're going to punt it back to you. And then defensively, they've got to play from in front. So they're a contradicting team that has to play from in front. They're small on defense. I mean, when you look at their linebackers, uh, some big running backs, I mean, just if Foreman were to play, you know, I know he's hurt, but if he were to play, uh, you know, he's bigger than most of their linebackers. So it's a different kind of team. I'm not sure they're set up to 
play any style. They have to play their style to win. They beat the Bears when the Bears were exhausted in the fourth quarter. You know, they've always been good in the heat in Miami. They were 10-2 and two going into that game against the Lions whenever the temperature was above 81 degrees. It was on last Sunday the Lions dominated because the Lions played smart. The Lions didn't give them the game. Miami relies on teams to give them the game. Michael, you've uh, coined a few phrases and also come up with a few very successful nicknames. Maybe your most successful one is uh, you call Jason Garrett the clapper. And yeah. that's that's <laughs> taken off like wildfire. Um, <laughs> I, I think the heist, which you dubbed Brock Osweiler, I thought that was one of your more clever ones, but it never really caught on. Why didn't the heist catch on? I don't know. I don't think people understand it. Maybe they didn't watch The Goodfellas and they don't understand the Lufthansa height. You know, most of my references have to do with mafia movies or the Northeast. So I know I play to a, a different kind of off, a, a, a different kind of uh, uh, folks. But look, you know, the Lufthansa heist, all those guys made money on it, and then everybody got to, everybody got killed around it. So that's really what happened with Brock. I mean, he got all the money, and everybody else died around them. I mean, it, it just didn't work out. And the guy, the only one that really benefited that got through it all is John Elway because he turned it down. But yet he really didn't because he drafted Paxton Lynch yes. and he doubled down on it. He would, you know, he got saved by it. But then he got, but then he, then he paid a price for it anyway. Oh, I'm glad you brought up John Elway because this this Chad Kelly scenario, and we were just talking about off field distractions. Um, I was, I wanted to see Chad Kelly play this uh, this year. Is, was there any hope for Chad Kelly? I think you will. I think eventually you will. I mean, look, he was inebriated. He's in somebody's house, the wrong house. I mean, obviously, it's not what you want on your, your quarterback. Back, you know, your best player, <laughs> Jeff Van Gundy coined this phrase years ago, and it's so true. Your best player must must set the tone for intolerance of anything that's in the way of winning. He's got to be the ringleader. He's got to be the guy that really is. Now, I know people say, well, Brett Favre didn't always behave. Yeah, okay, I get that. All right, but most of the time, there's exceptions to rules, but your quarterback has to be the guy. This is why Deshaun Watson, to me, was the most appealing player in that draft. And, you know, obviously Mahomes is so talented, but I, I, I loved Deshaun's character. I loved his will to win. I loved his commitment to a team co- component, whereas, you know, Chad Kelly's still growing up. What about Ryan Mallett? Because you had some experience with him in New England um, and then just uh, it, was it could they was the writing on the wall the whole time there or did he ever actually get close to maybe I actually was a big mallet fan I thought he could turn the corner but I think what happened to Ryan was he's always gone through life without a lot of adversity you know he left Michigan went to Arkansas had success he's an extremely talented player but I'm not sure that Ryan was going to commit what he needed to commit to to become the greatest player of all I think there are other things off the field that Ryan enjoyed more than football and I think that got in the way talent wise Ryan should be an NFL quarterback but the reality was it is he didn't have that that grit and determination to be one. Mike, do the Jaguars have any way out of this Blake Bortles mess? <laughs> well, look, you know, what do they tell you when you have to go to uh, some uh, sobriety program? You've got to first admit it before you can improve. Well, I mean, the Jaguars have never admitted it. I mean, look, David Caldwell's living a dream, right? He's sitting there pretending that he drafted the best quarterback in that draft when we all know he didn't. He won't admit it, which really, and I wrote about this for The Athletic, what shocks me is that Tom Coughlin, who I have great respect for as a football man, bought into this Blake Bortles thing. Like, to me, there's no way a really good football man buys into this. You know, I mean, yeah, you can have a good game here, you can have a good game there, but just study him. Watch him. He's bad on the road. He's always been bad on the road. He turns the the ball over too much. He doesn't throw it down the field. He doesn't control the football. It's a little bit like Mitchell Trubisky. You can look at Trubisky's numbers against New England on Sunday and say, well, Mitchell's really improving. No, stop. He had five guys wide open. He threw the ball out of bounds. I mean, he doesn't control the football. He made plays with his feet. He's an athlete first. He's not a quarterback. And I think that's where Bortles is more than anything. And, and that, look, the Jaguars won't admit it, but I think, Seth, you can speak to this as well. When you pay a player $54 million, when you're on your rookie deal, the players are they're not going to get mad at the rookie deal, right? Yeah. Overdrafted, all that, no big deal. That's your rookie. But then when you double down and give them fifty-four million and twenty-six-five guaranteed, everybody in that room saying, "Bro, you got to earn it because if not, you took my money." Yeah. You're well, the, my yeah. Money. The long the long knives come out, and yeah. you just start to you start counting other people's paychecks when it's obviously it's it feels like an injustice. Right. I mean, because, look, everybody thinks the locker room is just a bunch of guys down there flipping towels against everybody's butt, you know, having fun. That's a business meeting down there. Like, they could they could broadcast CNBC down there. That's a financial room down there. And everything is tied to money. We can kid about it. Look, we all play. We all compete for the love of the game. But the reality is that it's a business. And the players understand it's a business. And when somebody's making more money that doesn't deserve it, everything's off. The bets, all, bet, all the gloves come off.
Mike, earlier today I said John Gruden's the biggest two-face in the NFL. Is that an accurate assessment? And is this actually going to work out in Oakland or in Las Vegas? I think the challenge for John Gruden, you use two-face, I think it's two jobs, right? So he's, we, I, I respect John Gruden as a coach. I really do. I think John Gruden's a good coach. However, John Gruden's going to get the coach, John Gruden the GM might get John Gruden the coach fired. That's going to be the deliberate. That's going to be the, the decision. And I think what John Gruden should do more than anything is he should hire somebody that he could turn the personnel aspect. I'm not saying he shouldn't run it because, as you guys know, I've said this repeatedly. The head coach has to be the focal point of the organization. I wrote about it in my book. I preach about it. I'm a football. I'm a personnel guy. My job is to be in the background. When Rick Smith was in front of everything in Houston, that sends a message that there's two. There's two leaders. No, there can only be one leader of the team. It's the coach. Nobody pays to come see the general manager work. They pay to watch the coach work. Okay, so I get that. But what Gruden needs to do is find somebody who's going to do all those detail work for him and set him up. When I worked for Bill Walsh, I used to say to Coach Walsh, Coach, you can't make a bad decision. I can only give you bad information. That's the mindset you got to have. Mike, a lot of people discuss the Rams, obviously Kansas City, what they're doing, the Patriots for obvious reasons. Which NFL teams are you looking at right now that you feel should be being talked up more right now? I think the Saints are great. I think the Saints are really good. I think the Saints get it. They're, they get it. I think Sean Payton's done. Each week he's modified his team to adjust to his weaknesses. You know, last week they weren't very good in two-minute defense. I think he'll work on that this week. You know, in the beginning of the season they played way too, man, too much man. They played what I call battleship football on defense, which is guess. You know, let's run this blitz. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, let's try this. Okay, it didn't work. Okay. Oh, this won't work. Let's call it again. You know, that doesn't work. And I think they've, they've come back. They've played more zone. They've tried to keep the ball in front of them. They know they're going to score points on offense so that what they're trying to do is just keep the game from get, getting exposed not letting the plays that happen against Tampa I think the Saints are really good this year I think they can power you I think their offensive line is very good the quarterback we know is great and they've got some great skill and Sean's one of the best play callers in football do you think Drew Brees is fine with Taysom Hill I think he kind of enjoys it look you know it's funny I wrote a chapter in my book about the future of football and the Saints are showing it to us Right. There's like I think if the I think if Billy O'Brien would add another court and, it, and maybe it's Joe Webb and they need, need to utilize it. But I think if you had two Deshaun Watsons in the Houston's offense. Now, I know you're not going to get another player with the talent of Deshaun, but just somebody that can do some things. Taysom Hill's really good now. Taysom Hill, when he runs the ball, he ain't a quarterback. That's a running back coming at you. That guy breaks tackles, he gets yards, and he makes plays. And look, he takes a lot of pressure off the quarterback. I mean, let's face it. I mean, how many more awards does Drew need to really have? One more Super Bowl, you know, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I think he's chasing rings, not notoriety. And I think this Taysom Hill, the way they utilize him on offense, powerful. Right, you wrote about it in the book. And shoot, 10 years ago, it was pretty uncommon to see two tailbacks in the backfield at the same time. Now Mm -hmm. you see it more and more. You do wonder at some point, okay, when are there going to be two athletic quarterbacks on the field at the same time? And how the hell do you adjust to that as a defense? Right, and I think if you had a one quarterback who threw left-handed, one quarterback who threw right-handed, you would really screw up the defense. Because oh, wow. what defense doesn't understand to this day, Keith Byers made a living in the NFL running the halfback pass down on the red zone, down on the goal line to the defense's right, which would be the offensive left, right? Because the offense, the defense never really dawns on them that the guy's going to throw the ball going to his left. They, every, they think everybody's right-handed. It's just programmed into their head, right? And so he was throwing that halfback pass. I don't know how many career touchdown passes he's had, but if you do stuff like that man you're going to cause some huge problems he is michael lombardi by his book gridiron genius it's an awesome book i've gone back through and highlighted a bunch of his stuff thanks uh thanks a lot michael thanks Mike. thanks, Seth. Oh, thanks guys bye-bye and that'll do it for today again please subscribe on the radio.com app give it a like uh if you're an itunes person or any of the other places you get your downloads please subscribe there really enjoying all the feedback i'm getting from everybody if you want to email me uh the simplest way to let me know what's about this podcast is email me at seth at deceptivelyfast.com give it a five-star rating on itunes and i hope everybody out there has a great time watching football Thursday night and on into the weekend and listen for, look for that interview with Bun B tomorrow. Really happy with this one. Um, I learned a lot. It's a really interesting interview because Bun B himself is really interesting. Thank you, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.